Okay, hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Thinking Tools podcast from Sense of Mind, or watching if you're watching. Uh, this week's episode is about emotional reasoning and honest debate on issues like gender, race, sexuality, and class. Like every episode, we'll have a fact, a happiness or productivity tip, a nonfiction book recommendation, a quote from that book, and my thoughts about life, culture, current events. This week, we're focusing on this book, The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure by Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff. That's from 2018. But before we get into all that, I have a couple favors to ask of you. First, will you make sure to subscribe and give this podcast a five-star rating and written review wherever you listen to podcasts, or to like and subscribe if you're on YouTube? Um, second, if you want the full video version of this podcast, make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter at senseofmindshow.com newsletter. Every Friday, you'll get a full video version of the show in your email inbox. The link to sign up is in the captions, and it's free, ad-free, and secure. All right, so on to part one of this week's episode, The Fact. This week, it's about emotional reasoning and how it drives division deeper in society. Emotional reasoning happens when we allow our emotional state to determine our interpretation of reality. On a personal level, I've struggled with depression, and I know how easy it is for emotional pain to distort your perception of day-to-day -day reality, as well as your worldview. When you feel worthless, powerless, deeply sad, and when you hate yourself, you begin to interpret reality itself as hostile to your well-being and you will very likely interpret your life circumstances as being far worse than they are. Many therapists train their clients to see through that kind of illusion by weighing the evidence for and against their perception of themselves, their circumstances, or reality more broadly. Now, this cognitive distortion often pops up in non-clinical settings as well. On the positive side, as reviewed by psychologist Naomi Eisenberger, when we feel more emotionally connected to other people, we tend to estimate the temperature of the room as higher than it actually is. Now, emotions are an integral part of our reasoning process as humans. Whether deciding between coffee and tea, Republicans and Democrats, or which theory of human nature best fits the available evidence, we have some kind of emotional reaction to the options on offer or to the outcomes that we think each will bring about if they're chosen. Yet, as in the therapy clinic, it is possible and desirable to decouple emotion and reason in certain circumstances. Race, gender, and class are often called hot-button issues, precisely because disagreements bring about reactions that serve to drive divisions deeper between people. While this is true to some extent on the political right, I have to say it's most often people on the left end of the spectrum who react most explosively and irrationally to disagreements on these issues. This is understandable, as fairness around race, gender, and class is an extremely important concern for a diverse society. But these issues are complex. The answers about what we should do, which policies we should enact, and which arguments are valid depend on a great many factors that most people have not thought thought all the way through. So, for example, as Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff point out in this book, The Coddling of the American Mind, we can ask whether the fact that a solid majority of the programmers in Silicon Valley are men is due to systemic bias against women, 
or if it has more to do with intrinsic interests that differ between men and women. And we don't have to fully take one side or the other. We can hypothetically observe that while there may be some discrimination in hiring based on sex, it has been well established by psychological research across cultures that men tend to be more interested in working with systems and things, while women tend to work more in professions involving people. Now, both factors, discrimination in hiring and intrinsic differences in people's interests, may operate simultaneously. Yet, by merely stating this second factor, and that it could explain some of the disparities between men and women in this field, many people will think that I'm just trying to protect my fellow men, and perhaps my own identity. In reality, I'm just curious about this disparity, and I'm exploring the various ex explanations on offer while trying to set aside my personal feelings. I'm trying to listen to different perspectives without being emotionally damaged by a point of view that I may disagree with. For example, if I'm outraged by the disparity among male and female programmers because I believe that it's due to discrimination, but it turns out to be more a case of individual interests determining what careers people pursue, then it makes no sense for me to be outraged anymore. More importantly, if I'm entering this debate with a feeling of outrage, I will be less likely to listen to and interpret my opponent's arguments as good faith disagreements and more likely to see these people as misogynistic liars, useful idiots, or simply enemies to be destroyed. All this is to say that always trusting our feelings, as Haidt and Lukianoff put it, will not reliably lead us to truth. It is more likely to blind us to arguments from the other side that may or may not have some truth to them. So instead, if we enter even the most morally consequential debates, as maybe a rational scientist would, by setting aside our personal feelings and weighing the evidence and arguments from each side, all the while knowing that, as humans, we are imperfect reasoners, we will be more likely to uncover the truth and thereby find solutions for what problems actually remain. So emotional reasoning, that is, always trusting your feelings, is the first of what Haidt and Lukianoff call the great untruths, the three great untruths. These are bad ideas that they argue are being taught to young people. Yet, to have truly effective and civil debates that move our society forward, we have to expand beyond simply rejecting emotional reasoning. We have to examine and ultimately reject the other two great untruths. And this leads me to part two of this episode, the tip. And this week, it's about being anti-fragile, rational, and intellectually charitable. Okay, so the three great untruths that, as, as Haidt and Lukianoff call them, are one, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Two, always trust your feelings. Three, life is a battle between good people and evil people. So we just covered the second untruth, uh, showing why emotional reasoning is likely to make relations among people worse in most circumstances, and why we should instead approach any consequential issue as a rational scientist, weighing evidence and arguments for and against. Now, let's look at the other two great untruths. First, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. This is obviously an inversion of the common saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. We all know that this is not always literally true, as shown by all kinds of unfortunate accidents that leave people worse off than before. 
But the point here is that human beings are generally anti-fragile, meaning that we benefit from a certain amount of mental, emotional, and physical stress because it makes us more resilient to future stresses. We exercise because it strengthens our bodies and makes future physical challenges easier. Similarly, when we voluntarily push ourselves to work harder or longer, one positive outcome is to make us better able to handle hard work in the future when we have no choice. When it comes to debates about complex social issues involving race, gender, and class, we should continue to embrace this idea of anti-fragility. While many people intuitively agree, uh, some college campuses seem not to. As Haidt and Lukianoff explain, many universities have created safe spaces that aim not merely to keep students safe from physical harm or verbal harassment, but primarily to keep them safe from ideas that make some students feel uncomfortable. And this is often couched in the language of safety, that students should be encouraged to retreat from ideas that make them feel unsafe. Not merely uncomfortable, but unsafe. Now, this encourages some students to see ideas they disagree with as dangerous, and it's likely to feed into the kind of emotional reasoning we just talked about. That is, if students interpret opposing ideas as unsafe, they will likely begin to feel unsafe when confronted by those ideas, regardless of if they are actually in any danger, and they may react with irrational anger or condemnation of those espousing the ideas. To be clear, some ideas really are dangerous, the idea of legalizing murder as an extreme example. But this is exceedingly rare. The reality is that most bad ideas are not literally dangerous, but simply incorrect in some of their assumptions. If you are confronted with an idea that makes you uncomfortable, I encourage you to embrace the idea that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and think of it as an opportunity to train yourself to be less emotionally reactive toward other ideas you disagree with in the future. So the last of the three great untruths that we should reject is life is a battle between good people and evil people. The authors contrast this with a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, quote, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being, end quote. To be completely clear, this is not suggesting that all of us are equally good or bad in our actions or intentions. History is replete with examples of real saints and sinners. The point is that we tend to see social reality in black and white. We see our own group, group as good and virtuous, while the enemy is evil and disgusting. But this is far too simplistic in the vast majority of cases. Here, Haidt and Lukianov argue that because this kind of tribalism is built into our DNA, we cannot fully extricate it from our nature, and it is bound to pop up again and again. Instead, they suggest that we embrace what they call common humanity identity politics, which seeks to humanize one's enemies, to see that we are all in this together, and to appeal to our common humanity rather than to mobilize individual factions against common enemies. They argue that much of the current dialogue on the academic left uses common identity politics, where the common enemy is straight, cis, white men who are said to uphold an unjust hierarchy of power. A variant of this is also heard in the claim that, quote, all white people are racist. Not because the ideas they hold, but simply by virtue of being white in a society where white people are said to have many undeserved advantages. 
So what if instead of using this rhetoric that explicitly pins white people as bad by default, proponents of social justice decided to appeal to our common humanity and said something like, we are all one species, one nation, and we are all in this together. So we need to work together to figure out why some racial groups are lower on the socioeconomic ladder than others, and then to solve these problems to the best of our ability. I think it's clear that they would draw more support from both sides of the aisle, and we would be more likely to reach the kind of fair and just society that we all deserve. All right, finally, part three, the book. This week, it is, of course, the, uh, the coddling of the American mind, how good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure by Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt, published in 2018. So since I've been discussing some of the main ideas of this book and will continue to in this episode, I just want to give you the general layout and feel of the book. So Jonathan Haidt is an academic social psychologist at New York University. Uh, he's the author of two other books, The Righteous Mind and The Happiness Hypothesis. And he's done some seminal research into moral psychology and the social functions of the emotion of disgust. Greg Lukianoff is an attorney and the head of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, or FIRE, which is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization aimed at defending liberty, freedom of speech, due process, and academic freedom on American university campuses. These two decided to write this book together because in recent years, they both noticed trends that suggested that students and faculty in many university campuses were becoming less supportive of free speech and less tolerant of dissenting opinions, especially on issues of race and gender. They wanted to provide advice for students, parents, teachers, professors, and anyone else who might benefit from recognizing these trends and learning to push back against them. They began by explaining what they call the three great untruths, which we just talked about. Uh, they say that these are great untruths because they, one, contradict ancient wisdom, two, contradict modern psychological research on human well-being, and three, they harm anyone who embraces them. Next, they turn to recent examples of how embracing the three great untruths has led to intimidation and violence, as well as ideological witch hunts both on and off college campuses. They then try to explain the trends by looking at six factors, including increased polarization, higher adolescent rates of mental illness, helicopter parenting, the lack of unstructured and unsupervised play for young kids, safetyism, and an increased focus on equal outcomes rather than equal opportunity. One thing you'll get from this section is that parenting in upper middle class households has become increasingly hands-on, which may be preventing kids from learning about conflict and how to navigate complex social realities on their own. To be clear, they're not saying that American youth are all coddled and spoiled but that a problematic kind of overprotection has become more common in our society. Lastly, they offer advice to teens, young adults, parents, universities, and the general public based on the arguments and the evidence they review throughout the rest of the book. One important theme throughout the entire book is that techniques from cognitive behavioral therapy are very useful for helping individuals to push back against the three great untruths and generally for creating a healthier society. 
Another is that freedom of speech and freedom of inquiry are values that any good society or organization should hold in the highest regard. I strongly recommend this book for anyone uh, interested in creating or existing in a good society or organization. So let's now turn to part four of this podcast, which is the quote, which of course comes from this book. Quote, throughout this book, we have emphasized a basic principle of social psychology. The more you separate people and point out differences among them, the more divided and less trusting they will become. Conversely, the more you emphasize common goals or interests, shared fate, and common humanity, the more they will see one another as fellow human beings, treat one another well, and come to appreciate one another's contributions to the community. So for me, this quote clearly pinpoints an issue in our society. We are far too divided, partly because people with influence in society are constantly pointing out how utterly different we are. This certainly happens on both sides of the political aisle, but again, it seems to me that what you might call the woke political left is actively trying to do this in a very specific way by dividing the world into two battling factions, whites versus people of color, men versus women, or cis-slash-straight versus LGBTQ. And this culminates with straight, white, rich, cis men versus everyone else. This, I think, is a recipe for disaster, or at least for far greater division compared to a common humanity approach as advocated by Haidt and Lukianoff. So I can see the value in highlighting specific types of discrimination that may occur based on one's place on the intersectional matrix of race, gender, sexuality, and class. Yet when the knee-jerk reaction is to blame and shame the group that is better off for every misfortune of the lagging groups without actually analyzing alternative explanations, then we are no longer having a discussion about facts and effective solutions, but are instead asserting an ideology that may in fact be completely detached from reality. All right, now this brings me to part five, my parting thoughts for today's episode. We may be at a crucial point in history where the decisions we make now about how to interact with our fellow Americans will help determine what kind of society our children inherit. The primary decision we must make is whether we should honestly and openly confront debates about the most consequential issues we face or whether we would prefer to settle into ideological echo chambers. If we choose to be more honest and open, we are far more likely to find the truth and therefore to implement solutions that tend to bring everyone up together. If instead we choose to retreat into the hollow comfort of an echo chamber where everyone agrees with our views, we're far more likely to never fully grasp the truth and to depict those who disagree as enemies to be destroyed. This is just to say that we need a little intellectual humility. That is, the recognition that we are limited in our reasoning abilities, that we're prone to many cognitive biases, and that we benefit from being surrounded by a collection of intellectually diverse thinkers. Because while none of our perspectives are perfect, they're all imperfect in different ways. So if we can agree that the truth is what is important, together, we are far more likely to find it. All right, 
Well, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for watching and listening as always. And remember that if you're listening to the podcast and you want the full video version, you can get it for free by signing up for the weekly newsletter by going to senseofmindshow.com slash newsletter. Also, be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube or give the show a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you use. Thank you. As always, uh, this channel, this show is brought to you by the Diamond Mind Foundation. This episode was written and produced by me, Andrew Cooper Sansone. Thank you so much for watching. I'll catch you next time.